Chop Talk is brought to you by the Kosho School of Karate's premium martial arts training equipment. Frustrated with the low quality of the big manufacturers, the hassle and expense of custom-made equipment, or the months-long delivery times offered by the Japanese brands, if your order ever arrives at all, Kosho offers Makiwara, iron sandals, specialty punching bags, and other premium martial arts training equipment, all at great prices and great delivery times. Kosho equipment is guaranteed to be high quality and heavy duty, exactly what serious traditional martial artists demand. Contact the Kosho School of Karate for more information. Go to www.koshoequip.com or email koshoschoolofkarate at gmail.com. Kosho, premium martial arts training equipment for the serious martial artist. Welcome back to Chop Talk. This is your host, Nate England. Wherever you listen to the show, please write a review and give us a five-star rating. Be sure to check out pictures from this week's show on Facebook and join the conversation on Twitter. My first instructor, Joseph Walker from Peoria, Illinois, is our guest today. Sheehan Walker has been practicing karate for 50 years and judo even longer. He was appointed as assistant chief instructor of Shuriru Karate by Grandmaster Trius and was later bumped up to chief instructor by the International Shuriru Association. He also has a few world championship trophies in the window. In today's show, Shion Walker starts out by sharing how he got started in judo and karate, tells some stories about Grandmaster Trius, and talks about his first trip to Asia in 1986. Shion Walker is the owner of four karate schools, three in central Illinois in Peoria, Eureka, and Morton, and to find out more about the Illinois schools, go to www.peoriacarate.com or call 309-692-2499. And his other school is in Burleson, Texas. That's near Fort Worth. To contact the Texas school, go to www.burlesonkarate, that's B-U-R-L-E-S-O-N karate.com or call 817-484-2985. In just a couple weeks, Gian Walker will be hosting a seminar, the Kagami Baraki Gashku, sorry about that, or Renewal of Spirit Seminar in Peoria, Illinois. To find out more about the seminar, you can call the Peoria School at 309-692-2499 or email aokkarate at yahoo.com. I will, of course, post the registration form on the Chop Talk Facebook page. Also, Gian Walker has a special offer for Chop Talk listeners. Even though the early bird registration deadline has already passed, Sheehan Walker has offered to extend the discounted price to Chop Talk listeners. Now, this offer is only good for one week after this episode airs. Today is Sunday, September 16th, so the special price is only available until Sunday, the 23rd. So if you haven't registered yet, now's the time. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Sheehan Joseph Walker. Sheehan, how are you doing? Almost perfect. How are you, Nate? I'm I'm pretty good too. Thank you. It's real exciting to have you on the show. Uh, you know, I've wanted to talk to you for a while on on this, and we just uh, I just didn't get it uh, scheduled like I should have. Um, you know, I guess the first question I have is, you know, how you know how did you get started in the martial arts? Um, well, when I was a kid, I saw a TV show where the guy, the bad guy, was using karate to kill everybody. Okay. And it, looked, it looked cool to me, so uh, I started asking my parents to take me to karate, which they told me there weren't any karate schools. Then uh, we went to the 4th of July fireworks and saw a karate demonstration. So we, then I knew there was karate schools. Mm-hmm. So they took me to their local karate school, and they said, hey, kids can't do karate. It's just too dangerous. Right. You need to do judo. Right. Karate is, you know, punching and kicking and... That's dangerous. You should do judo, which is, you know, throwing and choking and uh, arm locks. They didn't actually <laughs> say those words, but when you think about it, that's very, very true. Right, absolutely. But, you know, back, back then, all the judo guys owned the school, so the karate guys had to take the, the uh, leftovers, so to speak. But we got into judo. I did the judo for eight years. I love judo. I still do judo. Uh, I'm still working my judo, still trying to learn more. Uh, and... Uh, uh, it was a great time. Great. You know, that's something that uh, I think is a big difference between what's going on now. You know, now, 
uh, people will think it, it's almost a, a cliche. You know, the the six year you know the the soccer mom's taking the six year old to the karate class, where it's become more of a kids thing. But at that time when you were starting out, when uh, nineteen sixty, give or take, is that right? It's yeah, it's nineteen sixty, and of course, you know, I was around eight years old, and, and you know, of course, I was could have been nineteen sixty one. It might have been, right? Could I it been the beginning of sixty? It might have been. I'm I'm not positive. Okay, but but this, but, is, but this is my fiftieth year in karate, and wow. therefore my fifty eighth year in martial arts. Okay, wow, that's fantastic, uh, and it's a long time but but i i I mean going back it's a big change so i I think a lot of the 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 instructors and and we've you know i've had uh vic moore uh james mclean other guys that were you know starting around this time have said the similar thing you know the the instructors were mostly former military guys and the training was very hard and it probably, and they didn't want a bunch of kids around. So I think that's a, just a big change from, you know, 58 years ago, uh, to now. Yes. And the judo classes weren't easy. I did falling for one month before I did anything else. And in fact, the first class, which was an hour long, I lay on my back and slapped the mat nonstop for an hour. <laughs> and uh, for an eight-year-old today, that you know, uh, we w- we wouldn't find a lot of eight-year-olds who's in- who are inclined to do that. No, I honestly didn't understand I could quit though. So uh, <laughs> you you would assume you just signed up for life. Yeah, which yeah. Which, which you basically um, did. You still you still haven't come to terms with that. You could, but you still just continue to go. No, not at all, not at all. Um, in fact, I was working out right before you called. Right. Uh, <laughs> So, and another thing, I just wanted to touch on this because this is a, a sort of a theme that I'm I'm hearing with with the people with all the the instructors I'm interviewing with your generation is the judo school or the judo class was right along with with the karate class. In fact, a lot of karate schools didn't start as karate schools; they started as some program in the back room of a judo program of an actual judo school, where judo was much more well-known and much more popular uh, when we're talking about 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Most people knew the word judo. Almost nobody knew the word karate. Um, our judo mat, which was very, very large, was adjacent to the karate mat and in the same room. There was a guy named uh, Roger Warren who was teaching karate in the class. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you something that was kind of weird. As a little kid, I'm watching Roger Warren teach classes over on the other map. Then maybe, maybe 40 years later, a guy walks into my dojo and says, hey, I'd like to get back into karate. And I say, well, okay. I start talking to him. What's your name? He says, Roger Warren. And I realized that's the guy I used to watch when I was eight years old. Wow. And he dropped out, wandered away, and now he was talking about coming back. Now, he never ended up joining and getting on the mat. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a weird situation where you're, you're sitting there looking at the first guy you saw perform karate, standing there talking to you about si- possibly signing up and taking classes from you. Uh, that's a, that's a, a just, very surreal just, moment. Yeah, it was. It really was. Hey, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just let me get sidetracked a, a, a second here because, you know, one thing that I've, I've, I've seen and I've heard and re- recently is, you know, sometimes people will sign up with their buddy, uh, or, you know, some guy that they know in the karate school talks him into signing up. So, you know, he, he's, you know, he talked me into signing up and he's, he's a real high rank man. He's, you know, he's all the way up to blue belt and, and then you sign up and then your buddy drops out. And sometimes I've heard a number of people say they almost feel guilty once they get to that buddy's rank, even though he's dropped out, he hasn't worked out for three years of passing passing him getting that promotion to greenbelt or beyond and you know if you had stopped wherever roger warren uh was whenever he quit and i don't know i don't know the man 1963 uh you probably wouldn't be where you are today no no that, my biggest uh, uh ticket to success was not quitting yep. and that's worked pretty well for me so far absolutely so 
so since there weren't kids allowed in the judo class, at, at what point did you, I'm sorry, weren't kids, there were, weren't kids allowed in the karate class. At what point did you make the transition from karate to judo? Or not the transition, because you're still doing uh, when, judo, but starting with the karate. What, exactly. When, when I was almost 16, I, I, when I started, they told me you had to be 16 to do karate. Okay. So I waited until I was six, almost 16. So like a month before I went into the office at the dojo, I was in, I said to the guy, uh, hey, I would like to switch to, to karate. And he said, uh, but you're about to turn 16. You can take your brown belt test. You can wear a brown belt in judo for the first time. Are you sure you want to stop judo now? I said, well, I always want to do karate. He said, well, why did you wait till you're 16? I said, well, you they told me I had to be 16. He says, oh, that was years ago. We let 12-year-olds in now. <laughs> and, uh, and my reaction was, well, you could have told me. Right. Uh, but I made, this, I made the switch over there from karate, judo to karate. And the eight years of judo uh, really helped me out. Hmm. Uh, I, you know, I had a better base in judo. A lot of the guys had done judo, but they'd done six months. Mm-hmm. And six months, and, you know, six months even as a, a younger teenager, is different from eight years. Right. And uh, the, the guys, uh, and when I met Grandmaster Trius the first day, we started talking, and uh, he said, uh, if, if you're a judo guy, and his, this was his opinion, if you're a judo guy and you start karate, you're going to be good. If you're a karate guy and you try judo, you're going to be horrible. Uh, oh, interesting. Because he felt judo guys were more relaxed. Okay. And could could move better. And that karate guys doing judo tended to be a little stiff. Uh, that was his statement, not mine. Right. But uh, with the judo background, I enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so, and, and I want, since you brought him up, you know, a, a lot of people know him as, you know, the, the karate master, the head of the USKA, you know, first non-Asian, 10th degree black belt, etc. But he was also a very high rank in judo and very involved with getting, uh, with promoting judo uh, in the, what, the 40s, 50s, 60s, before the karate really took off, the karate organization really took off like a rocket. Absolutely. Um, in fact, he was, at one point, he was the regional director for judo in the Southwest, hmm. and he was the only non-Japanese black belt in the United States at the time, or, or if not the only, one of the only. Mm-hmm. And he could, he could, uh, what's, what word do I want? He could say that somebody should be a black belt, but he couldn't promote him without the technical director's signature. Mm-hmm. And so at that point in time, they wouldn't promote any non-Japanese. Mm-hmm. Only Japanese got black belt here in the United States. Mm-hmm. So at one point, since they had the technical director over the dojo, and he said, I think so-and-so is ready for promotion. It wasn't his direct student, but it was a guy who'd been do- doing judo for a very long time, longer than many of the Japanese who'd been promoted. And he said, I think so-and-so should be, be promoted to, you know, to first degree. And the technical director said, yes, I will look at him. And he said, no, I think you should promote him. He said, well, I have to see him myself. He said, why, don't you think I know a black belt when I see one? Mm. <laughs> and the technical director goes, no, no, Mr. Trius, you know a black belt when you see one. He says, well, then sign the paper. And he was somewhat reluctant, and since they increased the volume on his suggestion, and the technical director signed the paper, and since they took the technical director out of his position and put the new black belt in the position. <laughs> and then non-black belt, non-Japanese worthy students got promoted to black belt in the Southwest region, unless they were Grandmaster Trius's direct student. He wouldn't promote okay. any of his own students. They just stayed white belt until they would beat several black belts in competition because there were no uh, rank separation in judo at the time. Okay, it was was it weight or was would, it was it nothing at all at at that time? You, you you it was age. Okay. If you were a certain age, you were in that division. Um, and he just you know he wouldn't promote his guys until the head guys came to him and said uh, these it's embarrassing when your white belts are beating our second degree black belts. 
Mm-hmm. You need to promote him, and if you don't promote him, I'll promote him. And then Sensei would go ahead, oh, no, no, I'll promote him. Um, and and that, was, that was to cover anybody saying, hey, he just did right. that so he could promote his students quickly. Right. He just said, okay, I won't promote my students to black belt. Right. Now, later on, he, he did promote some people to black belt. In fact, uh, he promoted me to first degree black belt in judo. That's where my oh, wow. judo promotion came from, too. Looking for a way to gain an edge on the competition? Want to give your body some much-needed relief and relaxation? Try Medical Resort ATAC, Okinawa's specialists in sports therapy and wellness care. ATAC offers customizable massage therapy. Try their oxygen chamber to increase metabolism, reduce fatigue, and promote faster recovery from injuries. Take their stretching course to increase flexibility and release muscle fatigue. ATAC also offers special courses in static and thermal therapy, foot therapy, and head therapy. Or try a session of ATAC's latest offering, acupuncture therapy, with their fully licensed acupuncture therapist. Want to find out more? ATAC is open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Stop into their center located at 12830 Oroku in Naha City, Okinawa. Call 098-859-1890 or visit them on the web at www.a-tac.net. That's www.a-tac.net. Staff is fluent in English, Portuguese, Spanish, and Japanese. And that sort of Japanese bureaucracy is one thing that, you know, I've been having to deal with trying to get my people promoted in, in Jodo because you need these all these extra people that are signing off. In, in karate, I, I don't know if it's because of the fragmented nature or all the different groups. You know, generally people have the authority to say, okay, yes, I promote you to yellow belt. But in the more Japanese controlled arts, you need half a dozen people signing off. Uh, so that's an interesting way that he's got around that. Or he circumvented that. Yeah, he, he, he kind of, he took the, you know, Sensei was, was uh, a very friendly guy and accepted everybody mm-hmm. for who they were. He didn't care about, you know, he didn't care about your race. He didn't care about anything. All he cared about was, did you work out hard? Mm. And uh, so if you worked out hard uh, and you could laugh at a joke, you're okay in his book. Okay. Um, and, and that was that. And, and so, you know, for a while they had a problem getting people promoted. Then, and he just got some, one guy. Right. And with him, that made two guys. That's all right. he needed. Right. So, uh, when did you first when did you first meet him? Because you know, obviously, you're in Illinois. You're growing. You grew up in Illinois, and then he's out yeah, exactly. in Phoenix. So, how did when when was the first time, or how did you get out there to meet him the first time? Or did he come to you? Was it a 19- tournament or seminar? No, no. First time I went to him, 1969. Uh, my sister was living in Flagstaff, and she had a baby. My mother wanted to go see the baby. I'm 16 years old. So my mother and I drive out to see the baby, and I convinced my I had an aunt in Phoenix. I convinced mm-hmm. my mother to go down to Phoenix to see my aunt. Very nice of you. And then I convinced her to, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what a great nephew. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Then I, I convinced her to drop me off at the dojo, and they just dropped me off, and and uh, I I knocked on the door, and uh, I was met by a guy named Ross, and he. Uh, took me back to meet Grandmaster Trius, and it was a Sunday, and he was there at the dojo on a, on a Sunday, huh. uh, and he was in his office, and uh, Ross took me back there, and he said, uh, Joe, what rank are you? I said, yellow belt, and Ross looked really disappointed that I was a yellow belt, and I said, well, shishi and and he was much happier with the fact I was a shishi than a yellow belt, so then he walked into Grandmaster Trius and said, Joe Walker to see you shishi from Peoria. And Sensei looked at him and he says, what? And he repeated himself. He looked over, saw me. He said, oh, Joe, come on in. Walked in, shook my hand, started talking to me. Uh, it, was like we were, it was like we were instantly old buddies. Mm. But that's how Sensei treated everybody. He just, you know, it was not that, you know, uh, I'm an eighth degree and you're a yellow belt and, you know, you're a kid and I'm an adult. 
he just mm-hmm. he always would meet people on their level, and he would and Ross showed me around the dojo. Then since they took me to breakfast and we sat around talking, and we probably talked at breakfast for like two hours. Wow! And then we went back. To, then we back, went back to the dojo, and he said, "Joe, I want to see you run your kata." Well, I hadn't brought my gi, but I went out in the mat in my my uh, jeans and and ran my katas, uh, and I probably at the, that time ran about twenty five katas, and wow. he watched each one and nodded, and then he said, uh, "Okay," um, and then uh, he taught me jute, huh? Uh, which and jute didn't make it into the system. Uh, obviously, uh, but since they knew all, and Jute didn't make it into any of his books, um, but uh, I walked out with, with uh, a kata, and it's a very interesting kata. It's one of the few katas in, from Okinawa that doesn't have a Seekin in it. Huh. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was when you met Sensei and you got his attention, and, you know, he met lots and lots of people. But once you got sure. his attention, I was the only one there. Right. Uh, it was like he, he, you were his buddy for life. He, you know, he was welcoming you back. And uh, that was just the type of person he was. He, he was friendly with everybody. Wow. Now, you said, I mean, you're at a yellow belt and you run 25 katas. And I think at this point in time we're pre Shiriru standards. So the standards came out in 72, I want to say, something, give or take. Exactly. And this is, you're out there in in the late 60s. And, you know, I think one of the reasons, and, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but one of the reasons for the standards was because people that were in the organization and all over the country and actually all over the world were running things completely different. And there was sort of a hodgepodge of different katas. One guy was in the military in Okinawa and he came back and started teaching people this. Someone else was over here and they learned that and they started teaching this. And people were kind of swapping, exchanging katas however they could. So, um, you know, is that how, you know, is that how you got that many katas as a, as a yellow belt? Because 25, there's not 25 katas in the Shuru system. Yeah, that seems like a lot of katas. But right. um, since there was no lesson plan, there were no standard requirements, uh, and the, the instructors would walk in and teach whatever they felt like teaching. Mm-hmm. And when they felt like teaching a kata, they'd teach everybody in the class the kata. Mm. And for the first two years of karate, I never missed a class. Since I never missed a class... I always was there on the receiving end when the instructor felt like running a kata. Right. And uh, to the best of my ability, I would continue to run that kata uh, uh, as long as I could. Um, and so I ended up, you know, some guys would learn it and they'd get home and they, you know, wouldn't run it. And you, mm-hmm. you don't run a kata for about a week and it's gone. Right. But, you know, I, I my first personal workout was the day after my first karate class. So I did run the katas. Mm-hmm. And uh, so and, and it was, it, it, the reason I had 25 katas was because there was no standard time to teach a kata. There was no kata uh, assigned at a particular rank. Okay. It so, was just whatever it was. That, that was that. So and some of the katas, I, I've learned a, a, a few of these from, from you. There was one that, you know, it sounds like you you would go home or you would run it and put it in your regular routine. Uh, when I was trying to learn the new katas, especially in Okinawa where they're throwing a new one at me almost every week, one of the ways that I would do it is I would go home and write up the kata, do the do write up the walkthrough, and then when I went back, I would run the kata again with the guys, and then I'd come back and I could check, compare my compare my write up until it eventually got, you know. Uh, and eventually was an accurate representation of what they were trying to teach. Um, one of the ones that you taught me that I wrote up, and I cannot find where the page is, I've been looking everywhere, was National Pinyon Dance. Okay. That, <laughs> I think it was, that, it was such an odd name and such an odd kata that it just it stuck in my mind, but I cannot find my write-up on that. Well, we can get 
get together on that sometime, but uh, sure. that comes from Hawaii, and uh, that comes from Imperado. Okay. Um, and, uh, again, there's a, there's a form uh, that is without seeking in it, mm. though it doesn't trace back to Okinawa in any way, shape, or form. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a very different form. Um, but there, that was an interesting group of people, the, the, uh, Imperato and the Kajikimpo people. Right. Yeah. I think the stance is almost all caught, isn't it? Does look like, I'm sorry, it's all, almost all stances and it does look like you're doing this kind of funky dance as you're doing it. So, so did you, did, did you get out to, I mean, so that was your first one. So you, you went out with your, uh, you know, went out to visit your aunt. I mean, did you get out to visit your aunt? Uh, more often, you know, did you, uh, after that? You know, uh, I, uh, well, I got married pretty early mm-hmm. and we would make sure when, when we planned the vacation, when I planned the vacation, right. we were going to Disneyland, we'd go to Disneyland by the way of Arizona and we'd come home by the way of Arizona. Okay. Uh, one, one year, uh, all my buddies went to. Uh, on a trip with Grandmaster Trius to Asia, and there, I was working for Caterpillar Tractor. I couldn't get a month off, that, and, and mm-hmm. the trip that year was about a month long. There's no way I could afford to. I just had a child, but I hitchhiked out. I, I drove and hitchhiked out. Uh, my uh, uh, I got a ride part of the way to Arizona and hitchhiked the rest of the way to, to Phoenix Okay, and worked out for a week. And there again, since I was the only person there during the day, I got his undivided attention, mm. and uh, he, one day he, he said, uh, and I, I'm not sure which car it was, but I'll pick Nondancho. He said, run Nondancho. I ran Nondancho, and he said, well, uh, the question I have to ask myself when I watch you run your kata is where is your power? Where is your speed? Where is your form? He listed down all these things. I'm going, gee whiz, that's I didn't I do anything right? <laughs> and uh, he goes, <laughs> he goes, uh, uh, and, and, you know, he, he did that in part to get my attention. And he said, uh, where are you going to show me power? I said, I'm, I'm not sure what you mean, sir. He said, there should be at least three places in the kata where you should hit with, uh, with full power hmm. so everybody can see how powerful you are. There should be at least some place in the kata where you do at least three movements that are full speed. There should be some place in the kata... And so then I'd, I'd have to work on these things and, and decide where I was going to show what. And then, mm-hmm. he'd, you know, he'd let me work on it for like 20 minutes to a half hour. Then he'd come out and he'd say, let's see it. And then he'd either critique it and say, no, I'd work on it more and go back in the office and do something else. Or he'd say, okay, let's see Donnie's show. Mm-hmm. And then we'd do the same thing with Donnie's show. Um, so, the, so he wasn't looking for the kata to be sort of, you know, monotonous, just block, punch, chop. But he he wanted a little bit exactly. of variety, a little bit of per, I don't know your personality, but at least variety in the kata where you're no, seeing he these different that things. That word all the time. He wanted your personality. He okay. didn't want my kata and your kata to look alike. He wanted when you, when we run together. Of course, we, we run together. Mm-hmm. We move in lockstep. But right. when we run separately, you should show uh, the best Nate England, and I should show the best Joe Walker. Mm. And certainly, if if what I what you try to do is try to be just like me, you'll never be as good at it as I am. Mm-hmm. But if you try to be the best you, you could be much better at being you. You're almost guaranteed to be much better at being you than I will ever be. Okay. So he wanted the people <laughs> to develop themselves in their own direction to a large extent. Um, now, having said that, he didn't want you to change any movements. Right. He just wanted you to pick the way you did the movement. Okay, I'm going to do this movement with power. I'm going to do this movement slow and and, care, and with great form. I'm going to do this movement, and I'm going to stop and show that I have balance. You know, but he but it had to be the same movements he was doing. Everybody movements should be the same. The way they did them could be different. Okay. And we worked on that for about a week. Uh, and now, let me. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I got. A, I got a. I got a question on that. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but it's. It's this. Uh, you know, I'm getting some different. You know, thoughts, and I'm. I'm, I'm calling back to some things that I've seen and done. So, you, you know, with this variety in in Motobu's book, um, actually, if anybody is interested in Motobu, uh, Patrick McCarthy's translation is 
is fantastic because they have his original, Motobu's original book, plus there's additional commentary and translations of articles and interviews with his, some of his students and so on. And Motobu in his book said that it's not possible for, uh, you know, karate people to do everything exactly alike, exactly like one another. Um, but when you get up to mainland Japan, a lot of the martial arts there, they almost expect it with the Iaido or the... Uh, or even the Jodo, or some of the Japanese martial arts compared to the Okinawan martial arts, uh, it's almost expected. You're gonna, everyone's gonna do it exactly the same. Do you, I mean, do you see that as part of the Okinawan Japanese cultural difference, or was this because this was Grandmaster Trius's sort of personality or thoughts, or was it because you guys are all going out to tournaments every weekend and you're trying to differentiate yourself from the guy next to you? It's a great question. First of all, you got to look at the Japanese psychology. Japanese psychology is, um, you know, a Japanese saying is the nail sticks up, pound it down. That doesn't mean if you're falling behind. It means if you're, you're falling behind or stepping out in front. If you look excellent, the Japanese psychology is to pound you back into place. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be excellent. You want to be, be walking in lockstep constantly. That's the Japanese mentality. Um, I wouldn't claim to know enough about the Okinawan mentality to say that they are dramatically different in that way, but I will mm-hmm. say Grandmaster Trius was dramatically different in that way. Okay. You know, he wanted you to demonstrate that you were different. And by the way, I've been in 50 years. My kata today is not like my kata when I was 30 mm-hmm. or when I was 20. Mm-hmm. My, my, I, 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 I've changed. Um, and, and in more ways than just age. I mean, I when I started karate, I weighed 147 pounds. At one point in my life, I weighed uh, 265 pounds. Mm. Now I weigh 215 pounds. Mm. So uh, I got to run differently at different weights. I got to run differently sure. when I uh, when my uh, uh, as you remember, I had a badly injured hip for years. Mm-hmm. It. I I got Me that too. thing fixed, and I don't mean I got an operation. I mean I worked out hard enough and right enough that it it healed up. Hmm. That uh, I can run things that I couldn't run four years ago. Wow! And I can move differently. And you and that's the thing. You're go, not only are you gonna should should you be different from the guy next to you, you're probably going to be different from the guy the guy you were ten years ago. This is Mike Tarvin of Tarvin Plumbing Company. You may have heard me answering questions as a plumbing expert on The Gary Sullivan Show over the years. I'm here today to make you aware of our company. We perform plumbing repairs of all types. We've been in business since 1907 through five generations of family members. That's 109 years of providing top quality workmanship and outstanding service. If you're having issues with leaks, stoppages, water heaters, fixtures, or piping, we're here to help. Spring rains may be taking a toll on your sump pump. To help out, ask us about our summer sump pump special. We can inspect the existing pump and replace it if necessary for a special summer price. We can also inspect or add a battery backup and other devices for extra security to keep you high and dry. We offer you peace of mind for your plumbing system with reliable, trustworthy service backed by years of experience. Tarvin Plumbing is a Cincinnati company with an appreciation of the wide range of plumbing challenges this city offers. So if you or someone you know has a need for plumbing repairs of any type, please think of us at Tarvin Plumbing. You can reach us at tarvinplumbing.com. That's tarvinplumbing.com. Thank you. And that doesn't mean necessarily that it, it, with age you're going to... We've You and I seen people in Okinawa who are extremely advanced in years. Absolutely. And yet run like a, a, a much younger person. Than, and the first one that comes to mind is Shinzato Sensei. Yeah, Shin, Shinzato, uh, when, absolutely. I mean, it's incredible. Um, I'll add uh, Yogi on there, um, who teaches, teaches Kabuto. I mean, you watch him drop down into these stances where... He's in the uh, um, a back leaning stance, except his butt is touching his heel, and then he pops back up, and he's like nothing, and he's eighty years old. You know, I'm twenty. You know, I was watching him when I was twenty six years old, and I'm like, I can't do that now. I don't know if I could ever do that. This man's eighty. Same thing with Shinzato, maybe the fastest guy, probably the fastest guy I've ever seen, and he's seventy, seventy five years old. So yeah, age isn't mm-hmm. necessarily a restriction. I'll tell you a funny story about Yogi. I was working out with Yogi, and I had uh, uh, 
uh, a mutual friend of ours, Denise Miller, was with me, and he was explaining to her that she should uh, pull her scapula together when she punches. And uh, she was trying to do it, not to his satisfaction. Hmm. And so he told her to put his hand on his spine, and then with his scapula, he grabbed her hand so she couldn't get it away from him. Because uh, he has such control of the muscles in his back that he can bring those scapulas in and hug your hand in that way. That's crazy. Um, he, he's, he, if you don't look, you won't notice how muscular he is. Right. Because uh, he's a little fire plug. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's another super friendly guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, you, you walk somewhere with Yogi Sensei, he talks to everybody. It doesn't matter if he's been introduced or not. He just starts talking to everybody. Right. Uh, what, what? And, and <laughs> did you find that typical of the Okinawans? Uh, I, I think Yogi was an extreme, or Yogi, they were more friendly than the Japanese typically. There were, there were exceptions for sure. But Yogi was was more friendly and more outgoing than than even your average Yogi now. And um, I remember when I when I first went over and I was working out with him, uh, I didn't speak any Japanese when I first got over there. And so the manager of the hostel, Yogi had called the hostel to tell me when I he was going to meet me and when we were going to work out or, or or something like that. And he calls the hostel and he's on the on the phone with the with the hostel owner and she's on there going hi hi what kind of must hi for about five minutes and then she hangs up and i said what did he say and he she goes i have no idea <laughs> yeah well, part of the reason for that is yogi throws in uh okinawan in the middle yes. of japanese sentences yes yes uh, a lot of people who speak Excellent Japanese have real problems talking to him because halfway through the sentence, uh, he's breaking into uh, Uchi Nanchiguchi and, and they're going, I don't know those words. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and in fact, now anybody, and I warned these, I, I, I hooked up a group of Australians to work out with him. They had an issue when they got over there and their original plans didn't work out. And I warned them because Yogi... Won't speak much English, but he understands all English. So I warned him. It's like, you be exactly. careful what you say because he knows. But anyway, you know, we kind of got off the, off the subject there. Uh, you know, I want to kind of pull it back to Shuri Ru a little bit. So you were you were around during the transition when it was the Shorei Ru and this pre-standards where you're learning whatever kata the instructor wants to teach to the standards where there's a list. you got to learn Taikyoku and Wansu and Anaku, and then you're at this rank, and you got to learn these Epones, and you're at this rank, and you got to learn the Staisu. So what was that transition period like? Because you were right there in the middle of it. It was interesting. I, me, I'm the eternal optimist. I look at that, and I went. I looked at the standards, and I went, brown belt, bokata. I don't know a bokata. Cool. I get to learn the bokata. Mm. There was a guy who was a little higher ranked than me, looked at the same standards, and went, brown belt, bokata. This is a bunch of crap. I, I'm, I'm wearing a black belt, and now I'm not a brown belt because I don't know a bokata. This is ridiculous. Mm. Now, the same guy one year later said, this is the best thing that ever happened. Mm. But looking at, you know, a lot of people saying, looked at it as, I have to learn this. And I looked at it, hey, I get to learn more stuff, <laughs> you know. Uh, right. But uh, that's me. I, I always want to learn more and more and more and more and more. By the way, again, going back to Grandmaster Trius, that was him. He always wanted to learn. He wanted to learn more. And he would do anything he could to learn a little bit more until they told him he was going to die. When they told him he was going to die, he stopped worrying about learning more and tried to teach everything he knew. Mm. But up until that point, he was – one time we were at the dojo, and we get into a, a, a discuss, discussion of ki, and he found out I had done some kendo, and he grilled me on the ki's in kendo, okay? And you, when you hit to the head, it's main, right? And I go, yes, sir, right. it's got to be a low note. Got to be a low note, Okay. Um, and when you strike the wrist, uh, Kote, but it's got to be a high note. Mm. Okay, okay. Uh, and I'm thinking, why do you care what I know? <laughs> you know so much more than I do. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and, and he had done Kendo. Um, 
he had done kendo uh, in California. He'd driven to California to do kendo. Now, you know, he said, well, I, you know, in fact, I encouraged, he was, he, if you notice, the Pinnacles pictures came in and out. Right. And I encouraged him to put a picture of him in his kendo armor, and he said, I was a yellow belt. That's not, that's not, uh, that's not all that impressive. And I go, well, yeah, but you were doing it before anybody else. Mm-hmm. Much of anybody else was doing it. But it, back to your question, and I apologize. But no, go any direction you want. The, the, the peop, a lot of people didn't like the concept. I thought it was great. Um, but uh, the original purpose of the pine tree was to show who had passed their review, their re-review. You had to re-review for your rank. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a brown belt who said, does that mean I have to uh, take my brown belt test over? And the answer was no. You have to take your yellow, blue, green, purple, and my brown belt test over, <laughs> not just your brown belt. <laughs> Got to do them all over. We, we don't want to know. But the concept was you were supposed to be a, a an expert up to your rank at the moment you got that pine tree. Okay. And uh, so uh, it took me an additional year to retest for brown. Okay. Uh, I, I had been supposed to go up for black. But then one year later, I was a brown belt again. And then a few months later, I, I uh, tested for black. But uh, the, the thing of it was, our karate got so much better in that year, it was incredible. Because we, we got closer to Grandmaster Trius, and not just the fact that we knew certain movements, but we knew how to do the movements the way he wanted the movements done. Mm. And that was a, that was a big difference. And uh, our our karate improved tremendously. And everybody who called themselves Shuriru and did it, because there were guys who go, I'm not doing that. It was funny, there were guys who said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to retest. Not going to happen. And then like five years later, you're noticing they're doing everything the way we're doing it. They're filming us Mm. and they're imitating us. Mm. They didn't want to take the test. Right. But then again, when they saw the result, they wanted the knowledge. Hey everybody, Nate here. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about our sponsor, the Snack Nanny. The Snack Nanny is the latest, greatest spill-proof bowl. It's the first snack bowl for kids with a self-closing door. The Snack Nanny allows kids to snack freely without overeating, keeps kids entertained, and prevents them from creating a mess for mom and dad to clean up. Kids and parents love the Snack Nanny. It's easy to use, easy to clean, and includes portion control features that only the Snack Nanny offers. To order, go to www.snacknanny.com or order from Amazon. Remember, you support our sponsors and they support us. Thanks, and you hit a beer. You you were on the eighty six trip with Grandmaster Trius to the Asia trip. Yeah, I was on the Asia trip in nineteen eighty six. We went to Tokyo, Kyoto, uh, Okinawa. Hong Kong, uh, Seoul, Korea, and then we had to rest up in Hawaii for a week. We didn't want to, but Sensei insisted. You poor guys. Had to go to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Sensei liked, loved Hawaii. He really did. Well, he had obviously been there during the war. I, I'm not exactly sure how long he was there, but he passed through on the way out and then the, on the way back at least. I recently saw a quote from James Matus who said that, that he knew him before the war. Hmm. Um, which, which, you know, Sensei had never said to me. But uh, he, had, he had said to me that he was there when they mustered him out. He'd gone to James Matus's dojo, worked out there. But he didn't say that he knew him before the war started. But James Matus, I saw something on the Internet that James Matus made that claim. Yeah, you know, I, I think I read that same article. I was a little confused by that too and you know i guess it's i guess it's possible that he knew him on the way out but it's also possible that something got flip-flopped in the in the interview or, or james Matus was talking about this and you know when you're talking and telling stories and describing things you know i'm sure i like i, I flipped karate and judo earlier in this and you know maybe someone's going to claim that i don't know you know i claimed that you know judo schools were opening up in karate dojos in 1954 now i didn't say that so it could have been something that was flipped or it could have happened i but yeah i, I would need to see a little bit more or understand a little bit more about the dates and times to really wrap my mind around that. 
Well, they maintained a, a relationship. The the Kosho people and the Shuri people tell the very end, and certain Kosho people now teach Shidoso, hmm. um, which is a form that Sensei developed. So uh, they're they're continuing to maintain a relationship, so to speak, after his death. Right, right. Now, your trip, this trip you were on, was this your first trip outside of the U.S.? It was the first, well, unless you can count over the border to, to Mexico, but yeah, it was my mm-hmm. first trip overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was my first time in a, in a foreign country overnight. So, uh, first time to work out or spar with Japanese and Okinawans. Uh, so yeah, it was a lot of firsts. And, and it was a very interesting trip. And, and uh, I met George Sheridan on that trip, and he and I did all the fighting. Because really the reason since I wanted to go there mm. was to watch his guys fight the Asians. Okay. That was, that was his main purpose. You know, the, now there were a lot of other things that happened, but right. really he wanted to see us punch them and them punch us. <laughs> More of us punching them, really. Right. So what was the, what were the differences in, in the training and the karate and the the approach that you saw in the Japanese and, and Okinawan dojos? Because you had obviously studied and were familiar with Japanese culture and tradition. You were doing a Japanese martial art or Okinawan martial art for all these years, but all of a sudden you're there. So what were your impressions? What were the what were the differences? What were the similarities? Well, in Japan, the the first dojo we went to uh, was the Koshiki Dojo. And uh, it was, you know, now they're, we're fighting in uh, armor, and we're not trying to control our punch. We're trying to hit the guy with good, solid technique. Mm-hmm. Not trying to kill him, but, you know, definitely trying to, to hit hard. And uh, uh, so that was very different. And uh, after that workout, I, I said, uh, Coach Key is like uh, fighting a moving Makawara. And then Hisataka, the head of Koshki, said, yes, but one that hits back. And, uh, and that's very true. Koshki was a lot of fun. And, right. and, uh, uh, but that group, we didn't get to see them do much else except train in the armor mm-hmm. and then uh, fight in each other in the armor. And then, of course, we saw them try, trying to punch us in the armor as we were trying to punch them. Right. Since they had this cute little thing he would do, we would work out a little bit, and then he'd come over to George and I and say, hey, Joe, you and George warm up, and then uh, let's try this armor stuff out, and uh, uh, we'll have you two uh, try, you know, spar with each other. Then, you know, we'd say yes, sir, and then we'd start to warm up, and of course you warm up differently. We'd been working out, but you warm up differently for sparring and you warm up for other things. Mm-hmm. So it was very obvious what we were doing, and as soon as we started warming up, he'd look at the Japanese and say, my guys want to fight your guys. <laughs> the first time, first time it happened, I looked at Sheridan and I said, "Did you say that?" And he said, "No, I didn't say that." So here we go in the armor, um, and but we we did well, you know. Uh, I I was able to catch my opponent's leg when he did a mawashi and and throw him a uchigari, hmm. and uh, uh, so. So that judo coming me, back in. Oh sure, yeah. sure, and uh, I you know, give credit where credit is due. I, I worked out with a guy named Tony Suburbulus in both judo and karate, and he taught me how to block and trap that trap that kick when it came. Mm. Now, the Japanese guy who turned out to be their world champion got through my block and hit me, but I mm-hmm. still threw him and stomped him. Mm. So. Uh, uh, and George did well against his guy too. Uh, yeah. George George Sheridan is, was a great fighter, uh, probably still is. Uh, I just haven't seen him spar recently. Right, right. Now, how about the the and Okinawan? Then, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, with the Okinawans, we were in the middle of a controversy, and uh, the Wuko. Had told the Okinawans and everybody else that you have to, if you're going to enter our tournaments, you got to run the way we run kata. Mm-hmm. You can't deviate from our method. And the Okinawans' reaction to that was, "We're the ones who taught you people. You can't tell us how to run our katas." Yeah. 
And so a lot of the Okinawans were refusing to get involved with Wuko. Right. But Sensei's uh, reaction was, let's get in, let's get our katas approved as standardized katas for Wuko. And let uh, now that, and he he attempted to do that. He attempted to get his katas the same as certain other Okinawans so that they could go as a unit and say, we want this kata approved. Uh-huh. Um, but some people were irritated with him at the time. Um, but we, we uh, ran, ran into Kiyohide uh, Shinjo-sensei, who okay. uh, was, was a Weishi, is a Weishiru stylist. He's still around. Uh, and... Uh, he invited us to his dojo, and, and uh, we had a very nice time. They had an inter- interesting apparatus. They had a, a, a makawara okay. with a piece of inner tube nailed to it. And so they would grab the inner tube, pull, and, of course, it would stretch, mm-hmm. and then punch the makawara at the same time. Huh. And then when you're sparring with them, they would grab your wrist, and pull, and you realize that that was an effective way to train. Interesting. Because they would have a really good grip, and they had that coordination down for doing it over and over again. I want to find a piece of inner tube. I'm going to try that out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you should. You should. It's a good way to train. And there had been this this thing going on between the Weishiru people and the Shiriru people where – First one year, uh, I don't know who else fought him, but Mike Awad had fought one of the, the Weishiru guys. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, he um, he had hit somebody in the face, and yep. which is something they, they never do. Uh, and, and, you know, I love Mike. Mike talked to me about it. He said, that guy, that guy was trying to, I he kicked sidekicking. And I sidestepped it, and it shot right past me. He was trying to knock me down, look like, make me look stupid. Yeah. So I knocked him out. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's that's Mike in a nutshell. Absolutely. Uh, no, so, no, uh, other, let me add. Let me add to that because um, him and I were working on a book, uh, and it's it's still in flux, uh, but or not in flux. It's still in progress. It's just on the back burner for right now. And he was telling that story. He would narrate, and then I'd type it up. And he was telling that story, and he, he said when that guy came in, he had a, he already had a black eye. And when he left that night, he had two black eyes. <laughs> <laughs> he pounded the table. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so then the next year, uh, Ridgely Abel and Robert Bowles fought him. Mm. And uh, Sensei said, you know, hold back, hold back. Don't, don't, don't hit him to the face. Don't do this. Don't do that. You have really good control. And the Weishiru guys both threw their opponents. Hmm. And uh, so our guys got thrown on the hardwood floors. And so they weren't real happy about that. Hmm. Um, and then I was fighting uh, Shinjo Sensei's students, and so was George. And uh, the first thing my guy did was kick me in the knee. And then immediately I went, oh, yeah, they do that here. Mm. Now, it didn't anger me because, you know, it's, just, it's something we don't do, but they do do. Right. I was a nice, solid Kiba. It didn't really hurt, but I didn't think of it as a scoring technique. I thought of it like a sweep, something you set up a technique for. Right. And then after a while, I realized he was thinking, I got you. I got you. See, look, I got you. I got in and out, got, kicked your knee, and I'm out. Huh. And, uh, but, and, uh, uh, then he caught me one time when I was moving, and, and uh, he did hyperextend my knee. And so for the next few days, I was limping. On the other hand, you know, I got him with a, a number of good sidekicks. Yeah. And uh, afterwards, we had a beer together. Nice. And everybody's happy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. you know, uh, and it was probably the culmination of the, the three bouts. You know, our, we went a little overboard one year. They went a little overboard the next year. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of hit an even ground the third time. Okay, that's all for this week's show, but not all for my conversation with Sheehan Walker. Tune in next week to hear more about his trip to Japan with Grandmaster Trius, 
training with Gene LaBelle, some business advice on running a school, and some more info on his upcoming seminar. To contact his Illinois schools in Peoria, Eureka, and Morton, go to www.peoriakarate.com or call 309-692-2499. And to contact the school in Burleson, Texas, go to www.burlesonkarate.com. That's B-U-R-L-E-S-O-N karate.com. Or call 817-484-2985. And of course, to register or to find out more about Sheehan Walker's upcoming seminar, the Kagami Baraki Gashku, that gets easier every time, or the Renewal of Spirit Seminar in Peoria, Illinois, call the Peoria School at 309-692-2499 or email aokkarate at yahoo.com. Or check the Chop Talk Facebook page for the registration flyer. Now, the seminar is less than two weeks away, so remember the special offer for Chop Talk listeners. Even though the early bird registration deadline has already passed, Gian Walker has offered to extend the discounted price to Chop Talk listeners for one week after this episode airs. Today is Sunday, September 16th. Special price is only available to Sunday the 23rd, and I'm looking at it now. Let me check here. Yeah, early bird price for the full seminar is $150. The at-the-door price is $200. So register now, folks, and save yourself up to 50 bucks. If you haven't registered yet, now's the time. Now, one more bonus for those of you that are still listening. Uh, something that's really neat about doing all these interviews is when you get the same corroborating info from two different stories. So here's Mike Awad describing his match at the Weishi Dojo. Nihiribiru, and Mataya. And he come running at me as hard as he could, doing thrust front kicks and sit down. And uh, Tuzzi told me, you know, don't let him abuse you, but don't just go in and beat him up. Mm -hmm. You know, fight as you see. Tuzzi always didn't want nobody to mess with you. So, uh, these cops started coming in and stepped to the ankle. Bang! They just nailed him inside the head. <laughs> and he come with a big front kick and just stepped to the ankle and swim cocky. Bang! Hit him again. I hit him hard too, blocking his eye, because he was coming at me to hit me. Sure. I mean, bang! He's knocking. And they come out, okay, that's enough. There was not like no time. He just sparred today. Thought we did enough. Did you guys have gloves on or anything, or was yeah, it just bare hand, bare knuckle? I didn't even hit him as hard as I could. Mm. I was still trying to just hit him enough, mm. you know, to stop him and stick him. And as far as all their angles and stuff, he just. And um, I was kickboxing then, and stuff. I was in good shape. Mm. And they just couldn't. All I did was the old step to the angle. Bang! Turned through the shoulder in it. Mm. And then, you know, swim cocky, that big front kick, so it went past me. <clears throat> and he was throwing it so hard he couldn't even stop himself. Trying to drill me. Mm. <laughs> but I still could have hit him harder. How many people were on that? Which trip was that? 76. Okay. There was quite a, a lot of people on that. Already oh, about 25. everyone like the show enjoy hearing interviews with martial artists from around the world then share it with a friend family member co-worker everyone at your dojo your fellow karateka you can find new episodes every sunday at choptalk.podbean.com that's choptalk.podbean.com and don't forget to like the show on facebook thanks Chop Talk is brought to you by the Kosho School of Karate's premium martial arts training equipment. Frustrated with the low quality of the big manufacturers, the hassle and expense of custom-made equipment, or the months-long delivery times offered by the Japanese brands, if your order ever arrives at all, 
Kosho offers Makiwara, iron sandals, specialty punching bags, and other premium martial arts training equipment, all at great prices and great delivery times. Kosho equipment is guaranteed to be high quality and heavy duty, exactly what serious traditional martial artists demand. Contact the Kosho School of Karate for more information. Go to www.koshoequip.com or email koshoschoolofkarate at gmail.com. Kosho, premium martial arts training equipment for the serious martial artist.